I am Samuel Xavier. I am a co. I am one of the co-artistic directors of Bullet Point Theatre with Lucy, um, and I am the director for the production that we're doing together, Art Last Fest. Um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit of me. I, I trained at U15 uh, acting school, and uh, I met Lucy nearly two years ago, and we've started just on this crazy journey of making our own shows and producing our own shows. And it's just a very exciting one, I think, for both of us. So yeah, after you, Lucy. Uh, hi, I am Lucinda Coyle, but I tend to go by Lucy pretty much everywhere now. Um, and yes, I am the other co-artistic director of Bullet Point Theatre. And I mainly work in the playwriting slash production producer side of it. So we're quite a good like duo. We meet in the middle with producing and then we both go off with playwriting and directing. Um, I trained at Mountview originally as an actor musician and then sort of just fell into the big old world of playwriting and producing and realised I think I had a bit more of a home there that I really enjoyed. And yes, Sam and I famously met uh, working front of house and um, one night ended up in GAY quite late and Sam decided to proposition me and say, did I want to form a theatre company with him? And um, I very drunkenly said yes. And then we we had to have then like a, well, actually, no, then I got COVID. Um, so then after the, then after that week, we were like, okay, we should probably actually have like a professional meeting. Um, as professional as a meeting between two friends can be. And um, yeah, we sat down and then uh, Bullet Point Theatre was, was, was quite quickly, to be honest, created. And, and do you think that was because you previously had a friendship you know, in terms of an ethos and in terms of a direction for a theatre company, how did you begin to put those ingredients together to to form what is Bullet Point Theatre now? Well, okay. Um, I think we both, when we first met, we both realised we were quite similar personalities. And when we first met, I at the time was producing a show. Actually, I was producing this show. I was producing Our Last First, um, the very first run of it. And there were quite a few things that I was still learning about. And actually, Sam was the first person that told me I needed to get insurance, which now looking back seems like the most basic thing on your to-do list. But to me, as like someone that had come from the acting world, I didn't think about the fact that I needed to get insurance for the show. Of course you do. But I had no clue. And then after that, it was very much like, oh, this Sam guy kind of knows some random stuff. Um, and then, yeah, when it then came to having... To, like talking about forming the company we'd already realized that we work well together and then our kind of thoughts on theatre sort of really ran smoothly and in, in line with each other and when we went should we do this we just sort of went okay well let's let's be brave and what's our actual ethos you know on paper and we were like right that's it really let's let's kind of get going like it was a very quick decisions were made pretty quickly but I think it's because we did have that backbone of of friendship and of having already talked about theatre for months together yeah we sort of I think when we um through the working together uh, as a at front of house I think we both sort of we knew each other so well that when it came to forming the company that we just knew what both of us are, like intended of what we wanted to make and actually what we wanted to strive for for theatre and I think that was such an important thing for both of us and that we could essentially put on the shows that we thought were the shows that are needed for now and because that's something that I do think we really just relish in and it's 
it's just it's so fun to sort of like have those conversations of, of what 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 do you, what do we think we need in theatre and how can we help get that on stage essentially and that's sort of what we strive for as an ethos for the company once you'd agreed that a company was a good idea and a good way to go together was the plan always lucy that you would be producing and bringing our last first back into production and what did you kind of have a list of things that you wanted to change did you have a plan for evolution yeah that was always very much like the we kind of knew that was going to be one of the very first projects that was going to happen because we i mean time scale wise the show had just been on in november 2021 um it kind of went into like you know wrapping up always takes a few months and then it was literally the january two months later that sam was like let's do this and then kind of it was the first thing that we both like oh well let's chat about how we would want to put it back on like what would we want to do and kind of the first thing that I was like as the playwright head was I went, I want to make it, I want to make it bigger. I want to get it into rewrites for a bit. And then kind of one, one of the first things we should do is a rehearsed reading just to get it back on its feet. But we were also very aware that we didn't want to become a one production band. Like we didn't, because when our last verse was first on, it was just under my name as a producer. We were like, we don't want to just, look like all we're doing is jumping on the back of a successful show and riding with it which is of course like there's nothing wrong with that but we wanted to prove that when we launched that we were more than just that show especially with the following that we already had through like friends and industry connections you know the name kind of already was out there for our last first and we didn't want to just make it look like bullet point theater was created for our last first second run so Actually, the first thing we decided we wanted to do was um, we did a small workshop of a brand new play that had never been read aloud before that, but I'd been writing for about three years. And we were like, cool, this is, there's no one linked to this project except for myself as the writer. So let's use that as our platform. No one knows about it. No one's heard about it. And no one had really heard or knew about Bullet Point because we, we were kind of keeping it quite under wraps as we were building it up. Um, so literally the day we launched Bullet Point, we announced that we were going to be doing a workshop of um, a play called The Wait. And that was kind of our like staple market. And it isn't really until kind of this year now in 2023 that we've actually announced that our last first is coming back. Because we wanted to make sure that we were building ourselves as a company first, not as like a pure production house for one show. Um, because yeah i think there's there's so many different ways you can launch a theater company and there's there's different ways you can get out there as a production house and we wanted to make sure that we weren't just seen as purely just going to be streamlining show after show like we're working with uh, a, a different theater company and we're both artistic um associate artists sorry on on a new musical and we're kind of we're sort of building up our world as we want to, as opposed to probably how like the stereotypical, how to build a theatre company is. Would you say that in relation to forming a theatre company in 2023, that multifaceted approach that you've described is is still the best way of, of achieving a successful company? Like what are some of the challenges that emerging companies are facing? I mean, I think it's definitely the most successful and sustainable way of doing it um i mean as a i think what we i think struggles that we had with the theater like setting up the theater company 
is that is when you are such a brand new um like standing point in the industry it's like how do you get those connections like theater connections that you wanted and want and but also establish that you are just because you are a new to this world of it it's like that you are capable of doing the work that others in the industry might not see because you're so new um because that is a hard uh, bridge to cross it really is and it's i think a lot of the time is unfortunately you have to sort of work on the connections that you had as an individual to then be like hello this i this is me however now i'm mm -hmm. associated with this this is and this is sort of how i want you to now work with me through my theatre company and it's sort of that's the hard bridge to cross because essentially one if you don't have those connections or two if you are that new unfortunately some people in the industry doesn't take don't really take you that seriously and I've, I myself as someone who's completely capable of doing some of the work that is doing fantastic productions across the country and it's just hard to kind of get your foot in the door. And it's, and unfortunately it's yeah. that thing of, even with the first company, it's who you know. And um, that's probably the, the biggest hurdle we've had. And that's why I think what's been lovely about us is that we did spend a full year essentially building up those connections. And we didn't really do like mm -hmm. um, the conventional of, uh, we've built a theatre company and now we've got a show. So now we're going to turn it into put it into a festival we did it as we built a theatre company and now we're going to spend eight months talking to people about us and getting our connections ready so that when we wanted to hit the ball ro rolling with the workshops and then now our last verse we have the people that are interested in us to take us seriously enough because no one tells you how yeah like no one tells you how to start like there is there is still things that we don't know about and we have like a like a a creative to-do list and then like the finance business to-do list <clears throat> and there are still things on it that I'm like I don't even know how I do this with HMRC like there's no step by step we didn't have a company name for about six months we had a theatre company uh but we we didn't have a name it's, it was like naming a child we had a baby but we didn't know what to call it and so we we were literally we were doing the unconventional thing we were going out and telling people we knew oh by the way i have a theater company now let's talk about it this is all the ethos these are the goals this is what we want to do and when people were like oh what's it called we'd just be like yeah no we haven't got that big yet like we really did come at it from such a bizarre way but i think it's the most organic and honest way like we didn't make a theater company for the sake of making it and I think often going off what Sam said, so many people do think wrongly that, that people are just creating theatre companies left, right and centre just purely to put their own stuff on. And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, let's get more theatre in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think people do forget that when you form a new company, you've been a creative for however many years. And I always, I always find that, especially with like social media, when you're starting a new page, a new company, you know, your followers at the start are never going to be high. And I always have this thing, I, it even happened to me last night, I was chatting about the show and they were like, oh, what's your Instagram handle? And then you kind of see people log on and they, they look at your amount of followers and they're like, oh, and then you, you sometimes can instantly see their face go, 
okay, is this this, is this this? And I'm like, hello, I've produced sold out shows before, but it's a new company. Like they forget that you have done stuff before. But I think that is the hardest thing of forming a, cre um, a creative theatre company is they forget often that you've been a creative for however many years. Um, but I think that's also the most exciting bit. It's going, you know, it's like an added identity. But yeah, it isn't that it was a revelation that that was going to be the hardest thing. I mean, there are still things that are hard, but that, that was a weird thing that I didn't think would be hard. And I think taking your point, Lucy, we are in essence creating like, well, especially here on this platform, you know, a, a, an archive where audiences and artists can engage at any time. And I think sometimes it may feel alien, I think, especially because we're, we're theatre makers and our metric, you know, our audiences attend our shows for the run and then it's over and then we don't see them again until we make a new show and then they come back. Whereas this digital exposure and content is constantly available. It's constantly available to engage with. It's constantly available for a response and is provocatively responsive sometimes on purpose to, to market the work. Yeah, and I also, Samuel, as well, I think that's really cool what you said, like your attitude and the importance of, of taking your time. Because I guess like you're, you guys are reaching out to producers, theatres all the time to programme your work. Like, is that your approach? Is that how you go about trying to get the attention? Yeah, but a little bit of both. We, like, we've, yeah, we've spoke to some of the most, like, I say ridiculous in a good way. Ridiculous as in how on earth have we managed to get them on email? Or on the phone like creatives that i would never have even imagined would would i mean they don't know our name but like would write our name in an email or send us a handwritten letter like it is extraordinary the generosity of a lot of creatives not not every creative but a lot of creatives i was like i was incredibly shocked by um and we yeah so we have been very lucky to speak to quite a few cool people but i think we're also very much in the minds of we want we want to produce our work with help like you know I, I as a playwright I had a very easy out I could have sent I could and I still could send anything I write and be like please go program this take it I'll just be the name da -da -da. but and we could create a production and be like please go you off you go go sell it away and there's nothing wrong with that but I think both as individuals we knew that we wanted to have our own identity of our theatre and almost like our ownership. And I especially think in, in this kind of world, in the wider media, you know, everyone is aware of the issues with Taylor Swift and owning her rights to her own music. And I think it's quite interesting that in theatre, we, we almost don't have these conversations about ownership of your art and it is expected that you give over your work. Like, especially as a playwright, that's kind of the given is that it's taken off by a producer and and then it goes off and, and you sometimes you do just become the name on the play, which is, I think, quite sad as a playwright. And I, it's something that maybe I'll get better at in the future. But currently we're both like, we've got these ideas. Why would we give them to someone else? If someone else wants to come on board and work with us, fabulous, let's do it. But right now, if we're creating the art, shouldn't we be able to do what we want with it? In, that's. I mean, I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. It might be. Does that mean that your funding bids are any easier to write? Because essentially, you're 
taking a project from conception all the way through to page and then all the way through to stage as opposed to having to break it down into different sections and bring in different people at different times and then that money runs out so you have to apply for more funding to do the next part i would say um i think i uh, we it, it does make applications easier i do think because actually when we've been writing our own funding applications for for example for this show and for other shows the fact that um we're saying like we we have us two as a company will do all of this and actually have all of this in place and this is why we're now at this stage where you can hopefully give us the funding to be able to do the show and pay people correctly and actually get the right the sets that we wanted everything for it it's i think it does make that side of the funding applications easier for us to write um because i think we instead of being like oh we've got this idea and now we need to have this we need to pay for this writer to write this and actually have a director to come in and think of all the ideas that we can do for this show and, and then add that onto an application it's i think i like to say if you have uh, I like to have my fingers in pies, essentially. I like to have this idea that um, because I like to do this, 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 and this, and this, it makes me an all-rounded uh, creative. So when it, and it, I think having that mentality with your own work, knowing that you have the comfortability to be like, I can write this, I can also direct this, and I can also produce this, I think is one brave to even say because it's like oh <laughs> sometimes you go oh god what am i doing but actually i think you find that it's more rewarding for yourself because you can go yes i have done this and actually you can then if you have the trust of funding that comes to you to, to do that it's like you have other people who trust that you can do this so it's like i think i don't know i think that's a very long-winded way of saying yes but at the same time, it takes a whole lot longer because they yes. know that you're like, you can't hide behind the fact that this person hasn't been hired or you don't know who you're going to be working with. So I think it, it is a double edged knife because yeah, at the same time, you know more information, but then I think the expectations are higher of you and it therefore takes longer because they're like, well, no, you should know this information. So why is it not written down? So like your timeline becomes the most like minuscule detail because you're like, well, we can't hide behind the fact that we don't know. So I think it 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 is easier in some aspects, but I think in other aspects, it's it's harder because there's more pressure in some ways. But I mean, I think with funding applications, there's ne like nothing is ever going to make it easy. And I think that's part of it's part of the game, right? It's part of the game that we're in. So our last first, the sixth to the fourteenth of June. Tell me about this show. Our last first is uh, it, it, it's a whole ball game that has never been created before. Um, so our last first was very simply it was quite it was kind of born out of anger. And I know a lot of things like a therapist would be like you should never do something out of anger because you should probably come to terms with your anger first. But this was me coming to terms with my anger. Um, obviously I trained as an actor for quite a uh, a while. I'm you know I'm a curvy plus size whatever category you want to put me in if it's say that you've got to be under a size 12 I won't be getting submitted on spotlights and 
that has always very much infuriated me. I was told, like, I, I've said this once, someone was really shocked, and I find it odd that I say this so flippantly, but this is the industry. I was told at 16 that I probably, when I was like, I'm going to audition for drama school. I was told by a creative who is like quite a leading creative that I probably wouldn't work in the industry because I was, you know, I was plus sized and that I needed to come to terms that when auditioning for drama school, it might not go my way. And I like, I look back on that and I'm like, my God, I was 16. Like, and that is uh, this horrible thing in our industry that, that is one of the many things that with casting is so wrong. So I've always had like my own personal experience of knowing how the way you look affects how you your cast no matter what people say it still happens and it was when lockdown one hit as as everything everything happened and I was chatting to a friend of mine and they were talking to me about what it's like with casting as a trans non-binary actor and we just had this absolute shared like almost like yeah, we need to change something because we were like, this is so hard for so many people. And it doesn't make sense that it's so hard. And like, we were in that period where I guess you could say change was happening realistically. Has it actually? I mean, that might be quite a negative viewpoint, but I don't think we've changed enough. And um, I kind of very jokingly was like, well, what if someone wrote a play where it doesn't matter who you are with the casting? Like, what if there was a play that was entirely genderless or, you know, ageless or looksless, not a word, but you know what I mean? Um, and we kind of laughed about it. And then I just sort of was sitting with that thought for quite a few days and like very randomly came across an old scene I'd written where when I write, I when I like sketch out a rough idea, I always just put like one or two for, their, for character names, because I don't know who they are. And if I just need to write a scene out, I'll do that. And um, I have a really random like collection of scenes with ideas that all just have one and two. And I, was, I found it and I was like, oh, I've got an idea. Okay, let's, let's just throw, them, throw mud at the wall and see what sticks. And, um, and that is kind of how Our Last Verse was born, was me having this quite angry but joyful conversation, finding these scenes and going, I've kind of already written like bits of a play that is that is entirely genderless and pronounless like I've done it so how do I do this to an extreme and that is kind of how it was born and then I went away and was like right what do I never get to do I never get put, put up for the love interest I'm always the sidekick fabulous let's write a play about a couple and it can be played by anyone because any like everyone should be able to play a love interest it's so ridiculous that the same two people that play Romeo and Juliet nearly always look the same or have similar characteristics like regardless of anything to do with ethnicity or background they're never above a certain size and I was like that that still means this world is not equal um and that that is how it started uh so I went away and wrote a play that has no ages no genders no pronouns no physical descriptions with the point being that if you are an actor that feels that you, you know, are can't play a role because of how you physically look or who you are, this play is for you. You know, if you're getting cast and in Romeo and Juliet at the National and you can walk in and breeze through auditions 
not because you're not talented, like this has nothing to do with that, but because you in our industry, you know, have, have an easier ride, let's say, because you have the stereotypical good looks or the right perfect casting bracket that everyone desires, then kind of the play isn't almost for you. It is for everyone, but it was written for basically the underdogs and the ones who get told they can't play a love interest because of who they are. So it, it very, very quickly went through workshop because uh, I was lucky enough to be supported by NDT Broadgate when they incredibly launched um, Broadgate as a, as a free rehearsal space, which was just amazing. And it's very sad that that has now closed. I'm hoping it's going to come back. Um, and then uh, through odd circumstances and a lot of hard work, we got a run at the Union Theatre in Southwark. Um, and it kind of had its first life, learned a lot from it. Um, and yeah, now it's kind of, it went away, it's got rewrites, it's it's gone a bit bolder and a bit, I've pushed the boundaries a little bit more. Um, but essentially, Our Last First is a, like, it is a love story. It follows two characters called A and B, who are the couple, and you've got sibling and you've got friend, and it kind of follows them through the lasts and the firsts of a relationship. Um, but it's cast live, so at the start of every show, four actors who have learnt the entire 93-page script, bless their hearts, um, walk on stage and you don't know who's going to be playing who. They don't either until they walk on and it's cast. Um, so it, it gives space for all of these beautifully unique and beautifully different actors to show their love. Because based on who you're seeing, you fill in the social economic status. Like when we, I was it was one of the most beautiful moments on closing night of the first production. We had two incredibly talented and incredibly beautiful trans actors on stage, trans non-binary actors. And it was, I was just taking it all in. I was like, this is what the show is for. Like, when is that on a London stage? Realistically, we're all trying to get it on there. Like, but when do you have the chance for queer love and love through different cultural backgrounds to have these spotlights and not be there just to make a point like yeah we're trying to make a point but we haven't written a show I haven't written a show we haven't created a show that at the heart of it has a political message which is like yeah we're doing this blah, blah, blah. like okay we're educating but we also we're providing the, the space and the opportunity and that was the main thing is you know I love a good play that has a political message. And um, but sometimes, you know, when it's a bit too pointed, it can get it can detract. Whereas this, it really is a play for actors. Like audiences love it, and I'm really pleased they love it because I'd love it if they could keep buying tickets. But it is a play for us as actors to have the chance. So that is a very long-winded version of how our last verse came. Um, but yeah, and now we're now we're coming back, which is incredibly exciting. And nerve wracking because I think, you know, we've, uh, there are a few, we, we did start to get fans, which is very, very odd phenomenon for me. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, I hope that this new version, which has got like new scenes, it's, it's kind of pushed, it has pushed the, the boundaries of how can you write genderless, pronounless material a little bit further. It's kind of gone adulter. That's what, that's how I say it. I'm like, that was the nice little baby version. And this is now the like extremer harsher but I think better version I hope I mean we haven't actually got in the rehearsal room yet so who knows <laughs> well I've got to say first of all it sounds brilliant and artistically the idea 
is brilliant. What a what a great as well like publicity political device because like as you say, anybody, any actors, any story could be be performed any night of the week. So it's always changing, and I really really love the idea of that um, spontaneous approach to storytelling. Could I ask how as a yeah. writer because you've created. Um, such a universal love story because we're all capable of love and we're all deserving of experience a loving relationship how how did you go about how did you fight the resistance to maybe stop yourself from pushing further into issues that particular relationships between people may face was that was that difficult to to not explore that in the narrative or was it as easy as this is not what this piece is? I think the, the first thing, and I think this comes with any play that anyone writes in any creative, is you have to be so aware of who you are. And if you don't have ownership of your own identity, you probably need to stop. And that was my first thing was I was like, I am very aware that I'm writing a play that should be for everyone, but I'm coming at that as a white, cis, female, queer. I know what I am. That is it. And I can only write as well as I can with that as my identity. And I think the key thing for me was, I was almost writing it not for everyone. It's it's a really weird minefield to kind of get your head around. Like, yes, it was for everyone, but actually as soon as I got into the device of being like, okay, you can't use a pronoun, don't try and put a physical description in, it's actually quite easy. It's not hard when you know, like the the love story isn't affected by who's, I haven't written, um, I need to start this again. I haven't written it to be for a specific relationship because it is firsts and lasts of, you know, like it goes through the first date, the first, you know, all of the first that we have. The first time you make someone a cup of tea and as a tea drinker, that's a very big thing for me is how someone makes me that first cup of tea. Like I will judge you if you make me a bad cup of tea. And like those things are universal. So I wrote them un- like universally and then kind of went back and was like, well, how can I allow my actors to bring themselves into that roles? And so there's lines which are kind of like, they get cut off, but it's like, well, your parents have never liked me because I'm, and then they get cut off. And that is an opportunity for an actor to use that to be like, I'm this, this is me. And that doesn't need to be written if the actor doesn't want to use it, they don't have to use it. But I think you, I almost wasn't writing it being like, this has to be, yes, I'm writing it so that it has to be open, but I'm not writing it with anyone in mind because at the heart of the story is A and B. Um, and I'm very much a writer where like, I know those characters inside and out. I've lived with them for like three years in my brain. And when it came to writing, I was just writing their story. It just happens to be that I've written them absolute ageless, pronounless, genderless, and so that they are for everyone. But they have their own characteristics and their own identities that then the actor fills in. Like, and I, yeah. Because as you said, like, who am I to go write? Like, I, I don't know what it is like to be in a trans relationship. So I would hate to start putting boundaries on what I am writing. And also once you start writing for this, how am I not writing for that? Bada, bada, bada. You know, you then start going in a cycle. And the biggest thing for me was making each character have their own voice. 
Like that was, and making them not my voice. And that was a hard thing to learn. But I was, I was quite lucky in that we were in lockdown one and I had two friends that just came on Zoom with me every day. And I'd be like, can you read this? And like one of them, after we kind of tried to do like a read through, was like, I'm not going to lie, Lucy, but they kind of all sound a bit like you. And I was like, ah, bad. Let's go back to the drawing board. And I think it just took a lot of self-analysis and uh, being quite critical and just being like, how do I do this? And I spoke to so many actors from ev- like from as many different backgrounds as I could and was like, would you, would you say this? Like, because, you know, I'm aware of my voice and the language I use, but how can I open it up to as many people's different like colloquialisms and words that people use? There's never going to be, there's never going to be a fully, you know, a play that will be in everyone's voice. I think from what you've articulated, it's a very clear justification as to what the show is and what the show isn't. And the example that you gave in relation to audiences are entitled to see a Romeo and Juliet at the National that should be a certain way or shouldn't include certain things. Uh, I think that you're equally as entitled to sell an alternative to that. Exactly. Um, I really respect the, the boldness of of the decision and the statement that you're making. I think with any show, you're always going to get people that, you know, will dislike it or will argue against what you're doing. Like that, that's part of the, that's part of the punch being creative and putting your work out there. Like, you know, every, everyone has an opinion and with social media, everyone can voice it. But I think if you can stand by your work and be like, okay, yeah, maybe I should do that. Then, you know, what's holding you? But I think it comes down to you have to know who you are and you have to be aware of your voice. And, and what you are saying and how, you know, how it comes across with your background and, and, and all of that. But, you know, if people don't like my work, they don't like my work and I'm okay with that. There's definitely going to be people that will be like, no, our last first isn't showcasing X, Y, Z. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm really sorry. It's not, but I, I tried and it's this beautiful thing. And if you don't want to come on the journey, that's absolutely fine with me. There's plenty of theatre you can go watch. How do you begin to navigate the minefield of casting for this show. <laughs> Honestly, that's I'm so excited to, to do the casting for this. Um, because the minefield of it is like it is a play for everyone. So when we're coming to we actually are coming up to the fact that we are going to be posting our casting call for the show in then what I want to say with it, but it's in the middle of month. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, <laughs> but I'm, for us, like, I think, I, I think me and Lucy are genuinely so excited to see the, what will happen with our casting, because it is this thing of like, because anybody, anybody can apply for this show and to be part of this show. And then what we're going to be looking at essentially is um, what, just like the talent that we might have in the room and essentially just being like, well, who, who, who's going to work well together? And it's, I think that's, I think that's probably the, the root of it is, is that we're going to probably be looking more who's working well together and then just being like, well, who do we think is also going to be able to learn this mammoth script and learn four different characters, but also prove to us that they can actually have a different differentiation between each character and i think that's i think that's the only, only way about it we can i mean like we're excited because we don't know how many people want how many people will apply 
to how long it, the process might actually be for us. Because if we have hundreds and hundreds of people apply to, for this show, it's then whistling down, how do you get to those final mm. four? Um, so we're, I think we're just very excited yeah. for it. Would you yeah, agree? And we, we very much um, have made the decision kind of in everything we do and we want to continue this no matter how how big or, or I don't know, how unsuccessful we get at any point in that we really want to make sure we're using not just the normal casting sites that ACTS is using mm -hmm. as a database because there are, you know, there are so many casting sites now, but even with the most prominent ones, there are still hurdles to get on them. And wrongly or rightly, those hurdles are there and there are even bigger hurdles when you're signing up. And I mean, I don't have the right or the right information enough to speak more on it, but I know that there are still hurdles with, uh, your, with gender on certain casting sites. And if this play is for everyone, then we can't really use them. Like it goes against the ethos of the play. So we're mainly going to be using social media and sites that reach out to actors that haven't trained that actually just have a love because there is, I mean, the first time the show was on, we used purely social media and one of the actors had no connection to any of us who had just seen it on, on Twitter, I think applied like, and we had no idea who this person was when they came on zoom. And immediately I was like, they're fantastic. I want to work with them. And we you know, went to recall, blah, blah, blah. And they've gone on the show and they're now one of them. They are still one of the best actors I have ever worked with. And I think that is such a beautiful idea is that we can get, well, we can try as hard, you know, we can do our best to get to those actors that are being let down by casting sites. And that's, you know, that's, that's the whole point of the play. If you're a successful award-winning actor, keep doing you, but probably don't, you know, I mean, they're not going to apply for our last verse, but like the play isn't, you know, <laughs> we, we know who are, we know who we want to reach and and that's how we're going to reach them and that's how we're going to do our best to to try and make sure that this show gets the cast that respects the ethos and and reflects the whole point of the show so it's nerve-wracking it's terrible like it, it you know i'm excited i'm very excited because you, you just don't know who's going to walk through the door but um it, yeah it's it's nice it's refreshing to be in a casting room where they the actors know and we know that we are purely looking at them from their talent in your application form you submitted that your company ethos is that if your audience is comfortable then you haven't done your job right how does that translate into your work i think uh, is it, i think i think when we talk about comfortability with our work we do want them to enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's this idea that what we strive for is that I think when when they see one of our shows, we want them to talk about it afterwards. We want them to be talking about what they agreed with and what they didn't agree with. And it's like I think I think that's what we mean by it is the comfortability of actually we want to show that we've done this show to not project um basically what we want but we want you to sh we want to basically give light to something that is not really seen on stage and then you as an audience member make the decision of whether or not you were comfortable with that 
or not. And I think that's what we are. I don't know if that's the most eloquent way of putting it, I, to be fair, but I think that's what we mean by comfortability is that we want to highlight those injustices that we we see in theatre. And then the comfortability comes to like, well, we want you to talk about these things and actually yeah. be like, and actually talk about why, 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 why do we have to essentially show highlight this even though that we shouldn't be able to we shouldn't we shouldn't need to highlight have to but we have to because it's not seen and it's having and i think that's what we mean by the audiences should feel like this that this has not been seen before essentially and i think that's what we and that they should talk about it in the way that they would like to and I think that's what we sort of are striving for. Would you agree, Lucy? Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of lovely theatre out there. And if people want to go watch something that's really happy, well, no, no, well I'm not producing why it isn't happy, but like if people want to go see something that they're going to have a really lovely time and they can get loads of cocktails and they can sing along and they get told to shut up by the usher, they can go do that. That's absolutely fine. There's theatre out there. There's platforms out there. But I think um, that statement of if, yeah, if an audience leaves our one of our plays feeling comfortable, we haven't done our job. It really came from uh, a deep, inrooted feeling that Sam and I both shared, which is we've both been to see shows which are incredibly heartbreaking and highlight some of the most important um, like topics that we need to be discussing. Like the one that always comes to mind is The Sun by Florian Zeller, which was on at the Duke of York, oh gosh, 2018, I want to say and it is it's still to this day one of the most heartbreaking and most beautiful productions I've ever seen and it's the only show I've had to sit in the auditorium for about 10 minutes after because I was so just gone with with the whole thing and I walked out with the person I was with and you could literally hear everyone people leaving being like oh so what tube line are you getting oh are you going still going to Bobby Pond holiday to go and I was like I, I honestly just stood there and was like how can someone leave a show like that and start discussing their next trip to Portugal or what they're doing. Like, and I understand that that is some people's way of, of coping with shows that are, that do touch on subject matters and things like that. But I think there's a, there's a lot of writers out there. There's a lot of producers, there's a lot of creatives out there. And there are a lot of other people that can go and create theater. That's really happy. And that, it allows you to have those conversations, but but really, we don't want to do that. The plays that we produce, the work that we work with, is all about giving voice and giving light to people, individuals, stories that don't get talked about, or they do, but they get put on the telly where people can get their phones out or hide behind a cushion. Now, I'm not saying that TV and film is a bad media outlet. I, I love another good bit of TV. But that is the thing, you know, you watch an, uh, you watch an uncomfortable subject matter and literally you'll see everyone get their phones out. It's, you know, or, or begin to be like, I'll go make up tea. Mm. In theatre, you can't escape. Not really. I mean, you can, we're not locking you in. But like, w- with the voices and the ideas and the stories we want to tell, it should be that, you know, we, we don't want to lecture you. There will be some education in there. Um, and especially linking back to our last first, like we, we've had audiences come out and be like, I wouldn't have actually chosen and like is it, it has happened like I wouldn't have chosen to um to watch a piece of theatre about two men on love and stage but because they didn't know that that was what's gonna happen they did and you we did have some people being like it was really lovely so pleased I saw it 
And I'm like, well done. You're, now you can go away and educate yourself a bit further if you want to. Like, there's a lot of theatre out there and we know what we want to do. And I think we're going to stick to that. And if an audience doesn't like it, then that's, as I said, that's fine. But our job is to create theatre for the voices and the stories, not necessarily the audiences, which might mean that we never make any money, but I'm okay with that. I Listen, I think that's a really lovely sentiment to close on. And I think um, that that's kind of encapsulated everything that we've spoken about this afternoon. Uh, where can people come and see Our Last First? Okay, so... Um... Our work, so our last verse is going to the Space Arts Centre in Canary Wharf on uh, the 6th of June to the 14th of June. I'm correct with those dates, aren't I, Lucy? Lovely. Um, so um, that's where we're doing the show and we really would love to see as many people as possible for it. Um, you can actually buy tickets for that show on the Space Arts Centre website. You can just type that in on Google or you can actually visit our own website, which is bulletpointtheatre.co.uk. Um and also you can follow us on Instagram, which is bulletpointtc, and also the same for Twitter, I believe. Um, and we can keep you all updated about the show. I just want to say a big thank you for taking the time to speak with me this afternoon and sharing with me not only how you formed your company, your ethos, but also detailing this wonderful piece of work, which I hope goes down incredibly well. It sounds like it is going to. So yeah, a big thank you, uh, Lucy and Samuel, for your time. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, you too. Bye.